Right. I, I actually, before I get started this morning, uh, just want to take a few minutes and pray for uh, all of our brothers and sisters up in Buffalo right now, and especially think about uh, Josh and Tracy Staley who are ministering up there. Uh, for those that didn't hear, there was a racially motivated mass shooting in a supermarket there yesterday. These kinds of pieces of news just wash over us, seems like one after another, another tragedy, another wound. Um, and we're people who live in the uncomfortable tension of our king already being on the throne, and yet his kingdom is not yet fully recognized here on earth. And we see signs of the scars and, and, and ripping uh, all over the place in all areas of our lives. So let's take a moment and just pray for um, the city of Buffalo, especially for the, the victims of the shooting. Father God, Lord, I, I need your spirit to intercede with groanings on my behalf because I don't even know what to say at this point. Lord, there's so much trauma and tragedy in uh, Buffalo already, Father, and I just pray that you would turn mourning into dancing, Lord, that you would beat swords into plow, to plowshards, Lord, that your kingdom would come and your will would be done. Lord, we pray especially for the families of those that were lost and for um, everyone dealing with um, the aftermath of the shooting, Lord, and we pray against the spiritual forces that are at work in the hearts and minds of men to do such evil to one another. We love you, Jesus, and we trust in you because that's all we can do. Amen. This morning, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the book of Acts, and largely because I just don't have time in my life to write a whole fresh new sermon. I'm going to give you guys a, a little insight into what we've been studying up in Northwest, uh, which is the book of Daniel. And we just completed a couple weeks ago a series in Daniel that was deeply, profoundly encouraging and healing and um, uplifting for all of us. The book of Daniel starts with the story of an evil dictator, despot, who goes in and ravishes the nation of Israel, uh, wreaks real havoc and damage. And I think we'll see as we go through the passage this morning, there are direct parallels to things that are happening in our world right now. And we are, again, like the situation in Buffalo, like the situation in Ukraine, like so many situations, we just feel bruised at some point. We feel bruised and beat up, like how many more tragedies, how many more griefs can we endure to the point where we become numb and like almost turn off to the world around us because we're just like, I can't deal with the news or reality, and so we check out. And the book of Daniel is a book that calls us to stare all of that right in the face, but to also recognize one key truth, and it's, I'm going to say it about 50 times today. So it's the key thing that I want you to remember. There is no God like our God. And there is no king like our king. This is what God is saying from page one of chapter one to the end of the book of Daniel. There's nobody like me. I am on the throne. I am ruling on this earth. All other kings 
all tyrants, all evil will ultimately fall before me. And this is the story that God is giving his people. And Daniel has been so deeply comforting and just profoundly healing for us as a people at Northwest. So this morning, I'm going to be preaching out of Daniel chapter 3. Uh, that's page 784 in your pew Bible. If you grab one of those, if you do not have a copy of the scriptures, please take this with you as our gift. If that's not a thing you guys still do, hey, free book. Um, <laughs> I'm just sort of assuming that you guys do that. We do it, and we got it from somewhere, and that was here. So uh, I've been gone a while, but I think some things are probably still the same. We still give the Bible to people. Uh, so Daniel chapter 3 is where we're going to hang out, but I'm going to give you guys just a little bit of a preface of the first couple chapters, right? So, you know, normally if you were at Northwest with us, we would have done chapter 1 and chapter 2, just like you guys are going through the book of Acts. Uh, chapter 1 of the book of Daniel sets the scene in the city of Jerusalem, and the worst has happened. Like, whatever your vision of the worst is, that's what's happened to Jerusalem. After years of rebellion against God, years of rejecting his law, years of oppression of the poor, years of idolatry and false kings and false prophets and every kind of rejection uh, and blasphemy that you can imagine from the people of Israel, God's finally said enough is enough and he sends Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar the Great, to storm the city as he did so many cities in the ancient Near East. He sweeps in to Judah. He destroys Jerusalem. He carts all the gold and silver out of the temple. He, he uh, robs the temple. And then he also takes as slaves all their young men, all their young men. Everybody else is put to the put to the sword, the city's burned, the temple's looted, and all the young men are carried off. So whatever your idea of the worst that can happen, this is it. It doesn't get worse than this. And this is the scene that we open to. So if you've been troubled by things that you see in the news, if you've been troubled by things that you see in Ukraine and you think about, man, the, the injustice of a ruler just going crazy and going in and destroying cities. This isn't a new thing. This has been happening for a very long time, and it happened to God's people. It happened to God's people. God's own people experienced this. In chapter one of the book of Daniel, we see Nebuchadnezzar taking these young men from their home, carting them off to Babylon, and then doing forced cultural re-education. You're going to learn a new language. You're going to learn uh, a new religion. You're going to learn all new things. I'm going to give you a whole new set of facts. You're going to become uh, servants of me. And I'm going to erase everything that you thought you were. That's what these young men of Jerusalem were facing. And so the book of Daniel is going to focus very heavily on Daniel and his three friends, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And in Daniel chapter 1, uh, Daniel and his friends refuse to participate in this cultural re-education they refused to eat the foods that were ordered by the king for them to eat, which would have violated God's law, which would have violated their customs. And uh, they, Daniel makes a deal with the jailer and says, hey, if you just give us vegetables and water, 
check on us and see what happens. And it turns out they were healthier, better fit, and also wiser and had more insight than all the other young men. And so you see, Daniel and his friends are saved, not just from death, but they're saved from reassimilation into this other culture. But also God starts to elevate them and lift them up because God has business to do with Nebuchadnezzar because there is no God like our God and there is no king like our king and Nebuchadnezzar doesn't know that and he's pretty sure he's the greatest thing ever. And like that's not like just a phrase. Like he legitimately thinks I am the greatest man who ever lived. Now that is a whole level of crazy and narcissistic that I, you know, we can probably imagine. Like this guy really, he thinks he is the best and God is going to do hard business with him. So much so that in Daniel chapter 2, he reaches into Nebuchadnezzar's mind and gives him a vision of the future. And it's so unnerving and so terrifying to Nebuchadnezzar that he's like, ah, I need to know what this means. And so he goes to his wise men and says, guys, tell me what this dream means. And they're like, yeah, well, tell us what you dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he's like, no, 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 I've done phone an astrologer before. I'm not going to, you guys need to tell me what was going on in my mind. And then I'll tell you if you got it right. They can't do that, of course. Nobody can look into anybody else's brain and pull out dreams. And so Nebuchadnezzar says, great, I'm, you guys are all fake. You're all phony. I'm going to kill you all. Where he gets back to Daniel and his friends. Hey, Nebuchadnezzar's going to kill all the wise men. Chapter 1, it's really great because they recognize, hey, these guys are wise men. Chapter 2, it's like, no, now he's going to kill all the wise men. So Daniel and his friends start to pray, and they pray earnestly to God. God, you got to save us. Show us what this vision is. And the Lord God opens Daniel's mind in a vision and shows him what he showed to Nebuchadnezzar. And Daniel explains the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And the dream is that there will be one kingdom after another. Great, powerful kingdoms. Kingdoms of gold, kingdoms of silver, kingdoms of bronze. A kingdom of iron that will be fierce and crush and destroy. But one after another, they'll fall. And in the end... A rock not made from human hands will come and smash every kingdom and grow into a mountain that will fill the whole earth and will become a kingdom that will never be shaken. There's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. And God reaches into Nebuchadnezzar's mind and is telling him that. Your great kingdom of Babylon, it's going to fall. Your time is coming to an end. And there will be other kingdoms and other kingdoms and other kingdoms, but my kingdom will be a mountain that fills the whole earth. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away. And he says, all right, Daniel, now I'm going to promote you even higher. And that sets the scene for Daniel chapter 3. Read with me, if you will. Verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. It's probably like a big obelisk. Basically, he builds this giant, real tall obelisk coated in gold, uh, and he sets it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So he goes out, you know, to their version of Hendricks County, sets up this giant, like, obelisk out there, uh, out in the field. And he sent word to assemble the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the kingdom to attend the dedication of the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the rulers of the province assembled for the dedication of the statue the king had set up. Then they stood before the statue Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And if this sounds repetitive, it's because they're trying to emphasize everybody who was anybody was there. Nobody was missing. 
If you had any kind of official position, you were called out there to the middle of nowhere to stand there, bend your knee, and pledge allegiance to a giant obelisk. (laughs) And this was all to serve Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, He's conquered all of these world, all these other lands, right? He has re-educated everybody, and he's like, I'm your God now. Now, I don't know if Nebuchadnezzar legitimately thought he had divine power, or this is just like, you know, raging narcissism to a degree that uh, is nearly unprecedented, but he's essentially telling everybody, bend your knee, forget all of your other gods, Worship me, I'm your king, I'm your God. Verse 4, a herald loudly proclaimed, people of every nation and language, you are commanded when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, you're to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up, but whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. He escalates this right to 11, right away. You know, he's like, we are going to literally burn you alive if you don't do what I say. So I'm going to set up this worship band here with all of these instruments, and when they play, you all drop, or I will set you on fire. <laughs> and this is, this, I mean, they're, they're playing with real stakes at this point. Verse 7, Therefore, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and every kind of music, people of every nation and language fell down and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And think about this. We know, if you've read ahead in your Bible and you've gotten to the end of the book, you know in Revelation 5 that people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation will fall down before the throne of Almighty God and worship Him. This is is what Nebuchadnezzar is trying to replicate. Those words hadn't even been written yet, but somewhere in his sick and twisted mind, he's like, I'm going to have people from everywhere bow down to me because I am God here. I am king here. But we know there's no God like our God and no king like our king. And as we go to verse 8 then, It says, some Chaldeans took this occasion to come forward and maliciously accuse the Jews, which, by the way, is usually part and parcel to like every type of uh, despotic uh, uh, extermination of people. There's always somebody who's just like, oh, this is our chance to accuse the Jews. And here they go again. Then they said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. You as king have issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music must fall down and worship the gold statue. And whoever does not worship the gold statue will be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. There are some Jews you've appointed to manage the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men have ignored you, the king. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. We don't like these guys. These guys have been rising through the ranks. They've been rising through the ranks of the wise men and the magicians and the enchanters because, you know, they actually receive visions from the most holy God, and, and they've been put in charge in high positions. And the local folk don't like that. And so they see, they know this is all just a big political game, really. It's a, it's a pledge of allegiance. It's a statement of where uh, your allegiance lies to come down and and bow down before the statue. And so they call out Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they say, hey, 
here you go. These guys aren't doing it, O king. What are you going to do about it? And so, uh, and so in verse 13, sorry, I'm, I'm trying to read this from the right version here. Uh, so then in a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, is it true you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue that I have set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, drum, and every kind of music, fall down and worship the statue I made. But if you don't worship it, you'll be immediately thrown into a, into a furnace of blazing fire. And who is the God that can protect you from my power? I, I imagine that Nebuchadnezzar really relishes this part of the job. The part where somebody says, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to try to oppose the king, or I'm going to stand up, and I'm going to, I'm going to tell the king, uh, you know, where he can stick it, you know, and then they bring him in there, and the king looks down at them and, you know, says, off with their head, or uh, do you really mean that? And then they grovel, and they cry for their life, and I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar absolutely loves it. It's his favorite part of the job, probably, to be able to embarrass and humiliate and show to the whole court who's boss. And you see the words just dripping off of his lips. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? I've broken bigger men than you. I've shattered the faith of every person with every God known to man. There's no God that can save you. Bend your knee, Shadrach. Bend your knee, Meshach. Bend your knee, Abednego. Worship me, and let's be done with this. Verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue that you have set up. There is no God like our God. There is no king like our king. And they knew it. They knew it. They were sure of it. They knew that if their faith meant anything, if any of it was real, then surely God would be powerful enough to save them from some old dude sitting on a chair. Because that's all he was, right? He may have been a big shiny chair, he may have had a big crown, he may have had a big robe, but he was an old dude sitting on a chair, and if their God was real, God could save them. But even if he didn't, they were not going to bend their knee. They were not going to worship the image of gold. This was more than just a statement of allegiance. This was more than just a you know, kiss the ring kind of moment. This is one of those moments where you recognize that there are things going on that are bigger than just kings and princes. There's spiritual forces. He set up an idol. First Corinthians tells us that that which is sacrificed to idols is sacrificed to demons. There's real darkness at work here. Clearly there's darkness at work here. This man was going to light people on fire. It doesn't get more demonic, more evil than that. And these young men recognized 
that to bend the knee, to give in to the moment, just be like, oh, what does it matter? What does it matter? We'll make the, we'll, we'll make the old kook feel better. We'll bow down. Then it'll be over. God will forgive us. They realized that to give in to that was to give in to something bigger, something deeper, something darker. There's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. And they were not afraid of a two-bit dictator on a gold chair. Verse 19. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with rage, and the expression on his face changed toward Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The big, cheesy crocodile grin he was giving them goes away. The moment of glee he was relishing for when they finally broke in front of him and groveled, he wasn't going to get that. And now he's angry. He's really mad. And he gave orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than was customary. And he commanded some of his best soldiers in his army to, to care, tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the furnace of blazing fire. So these men in their trousers, robes, head coverings, and, and other clothes, because, you know, they were going to see the king. They were dressed up in their absolute finery. I mean, whatever they had, they were wearing. This was a big moment. And they tie them up completely, and they toss them into the fire. Since the king's command was so urgent and the furnace extremely hot, the raging flames killed those men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up. And the three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the furnace of blazing fire. Even if he does not, O king, our God can save us, but even if he does not, and they fell into the blazing fire. Verse 24. The Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm. He said to his advisors, didn't we throw three men bound into the fire? Yes, of course, your majesty, they replied. And he exclaimed, look, I see four men not tied walking around in the fire unharmed. And the fourth looks like the son of the gods. There is no God like our God. There's no king like our king. Even if he does not, O oh king, we're not going to bow our knee. I see four men walking around, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the door of the furnace of the blazing fire, and you've got to realize he's got to be terrified at this moment, because right up until then, he believed he was the center of the universe. He was the most powerful presence, the most powerful being on earth. Up until the moment that he looked in that fire and he saw a fourth guy he didn't recognize. And even though the heat from the furnace had just killed some of his strongest soldiers, he can't even help himself. He gets up, he runs over, he takes a look. And he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Nebuchadnezzar knew there's no God like our God. He saw it and he knew. And guys, I'm going to spoil the rest of the story. He doesn't actually figure out right now that there's no king like our king. That's coming in chapter 4. God will do more work with him because the hearts of the worst, of the despots, of the dictators of the petty murderers who put themselves in charge of armies and threaten and kill women and children, their hearts rest in the hands of God. And sometimes he breaks them, and sometimes he crushes them. But their hearts belong to him, 
And God had more business to do with Nebuchadnezzar. But at this moment, he shouts, servants of the most high God, come out. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego come out of the fire. When the satraps, prefects, governors, and the king's advisors gathered around, they saw the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men. Not a hair of their head was singed. Their robes were unaffected. There was no smell of fire on them. And Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. There's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. He sent an angel and rescued the servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command. Now, look, he disassociates from himself for a moment. They violated the king's command. You're the king, dude. You're the king. But now that he's come face to face with Almighty God, he's like, yeah, that king, I'll tell you. Boy, that was, these guys violated his command. He has stepped outside his mind. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. And this part absolutely slays me. Therefore, I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation, or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. So, like, he's got one play in his playbook. He's still Nebuchadnezzar. He's still like, I'm going to light you on fire. I'm going to tear you limb from limb. I'm going to turn your house into a garbage dump. It's all they have. That's all they ever have. These, these tin can kings, these phony rulers, these people who set themselves up as powers, they only ever have the one play. I'm going to rip you limb from limb. Okay, great. We're real scared of you now. We saw what your furnace does. So even though now he's like, no, I see it. Almighty God, I see it. But he still goes back to the one thing he always has, power, murder, abuse. He is unchanged by this. And like I said, chapter four is coming. God will do some more serious business. God will seriously change this man's heart. But it's hilarious to see that he only has the one thing to go to. And their houses made a garbage dump, for there is no other God who can deliver like this. Amen? There's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. And then, <laughs> this is really great. Then the king rewarded Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So like, wow, guys, that was amazing. You just were saved from death by an angel and walked in a fiery furnace. Here's a promotion. How about a corner office? That's all he's got to give. How pathetic. How pathetic is it that in the face of the power of Almighty God, who walked side by side with these men in the fire, all this king, all this God can offer is a better job, a 401k. That's all he's got. That's all he has. His power is phony and fake, and it's based on lies. There's no God like our God. And there's no king like our king. So what are we going to do with this this morning? This is the absolute most fun, exciting story. Like we've all heard it in children's church growing up. If you grew up in the church, you heard this. If you saw Veggie Tales, you saw this. This is a super fun and exciting and inspirational story. But it's got to be more to us than just inspiration, than just a little adrenaline hit because it is really cool. And they're like, even if he does not, we're not going to bow. That's awesome. And that's exciting. But it's got to mean more. So this is what I want you to remember this morning. Number one, 
The fight, the fight, that's not the real fight. Our enemy is never the physical person. Nebuchadnezzar, the man, is exposed for being nothing more than just a man. In fact, in the next chapter, he's going to wind up being uh, sent out into the field, and he's going to eat grass like a cow, and he's going to live like a crazy animal for, for a while because he's just a man. We get all worked up, all worked up believing that our fight is against these people, these bad people, these bad politicians, this bad party, that bad dictator, this bad country. And we think that that's what we're fighting, that that's what this is all about. Look, Nebuchadnezzar was evil. He was profoundly evil, right? He murdered. He committed genocide. Like, he was Hitler before there was Hitler. That's how bad this guy is. But he was not the real enemy. There was something else going on, something dark, something spiritual. And the rest of the book of Daniel starts to unfold this. And Daniel, as he, as he grows older and he starts to uh, understand even more of God's prophecies, and he sees a whole lifetime of God's faithfulness, God actually peels back the curtains of heaven and shows him what's going on behind the scenes. And it's a giant spiritual war. This entire book is about God declaring, not just to humans, but to the heavenlies, I am running this. My kingdom is eternal. There's no God like me. There's no king like me. Ephesians, 5, Ephesians 6, Paul tells us this, right? Paul, in chains for the gospel. Paul, who's going to have to go talk to another horrible king, right? The Caesars of Paul's day, well, you want to stack them up. You want to make a who's who of the most brutal, most evil, most wicked men who have ever lived. You're certainly going to go up with some of the Caesars that Paul had to deal with. And this is what he says. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and in his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so you can stand against the schemes of the devil. Not the schemes of Nebuchadnezzar, not the schemes of Caesar, not the schemes of Vladimir Putin, not the schemes of the right or the left, not the schemes of social media threatening to cancel you, the schemes of the devil for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness, against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God, so you may be able to resist the devil, resist in the evil day, and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and with your feet sandaled for the readiness of the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You want to put, up the, put out the fire, pick up a shield of faith. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. Stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness of the mystery of the gospel. For this, I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. The fight isn't the fight. Don't get caught up in the fights about these kingdoms and these nations because they're going to pass. This, this country we live in, this country will pass. All countries pass. Nations pass. They fall. 
It happens. I hope it doesn't happen today. I hope it doesn't happen tomorrow. I hope it doesn't happen in my lifetime. But it's going to happen eventually. That's what the book of Daniel says. Nations of gold, nations of iron, they're all going to pass away. There is one kingdom that stands, and it's the kingdom of the eternal God, a mountain that fills the whole earth. That is our home. That is our kingdom. Our king is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our allegiance. That's our citizenship. And the ones who are fighting that are not the human beings. They're not the culture warriors. The ones who are fighting God's kingdom are dark and evil forces. So remember who you're fighting. Remember who holds the hearts of kings in his hand. Finally, remember who you're fighting, but also remember if it's true. If it's true that there's no God like our God and there's no king like our king. If you believe that, if that's really true, what are we so afraid of? What are we so afraid of? Why do we live in times of the deepest fear? I get it. that We're traumatized. We're shaken up. But I know so many of us live with like severe fear over what's going to happen. What happens if something happens to the United States of America? What, 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 what can we do? We've got to fight like they fight. We've got to take their weapons. We've got to take the fight to them. We've got to burn them down because we're afraid we might lose something. Daniel and his friends lost everything. The worst happened. The worst happened. There's nothing to be afraid of. Our kingdom will not fall. It won't. It can't. Our kingdom won't be shaken because it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing to be afraid of. I remind you guys of the book of Hebrews. And it's, it's so exciting. In Hebrews 11, you read about the great heroes of faith, and the writer says, what more can I say? And you start to, get all, start to get all worked up. Time is too short for me to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms. That sounds good. Conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign enemies to flight. Women received their dead, raised again to life. Wow, that's exciting. That's amazing. There's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. But even if he does not, O king, we're not going to bow. Other people were tortured not accepting release, so they may gain a better resurrection. Others experienced mockings, scourgings, bonds, and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world, was not, the world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and on mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. All these were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so they would not be made perfect. They would not be made complete without us. Sometimes God is walking in the fire and sometimes we're sawed in two. Sometimes the dead are received back to life and sometimes we're stoned. It doesn't matter He's still God. He is still king. And we participate. 
with brothers and sisters throughout time, but also throughout the world today, whose lives are being taken, who are being persecuted, and God is saving some. And in the moment, it seems like he's not saving others, but we know that together we are all made complete. So look, it'd be really easy to be like, don't bend the knee to the world, to culture. Don't bend the knee. God will save you. It'd be really easy for me to say that if I could say every single time he's going to walk through that fire. Every single time there'll be a fourth one there, and the fourth one looks like the son of the gods. That would be really an easy message. It would be great. Just go out, live free. God's with you. But sometimes we'll be tortured, mocked, scourged, mistreated, and wander. But there's no God like our God, and there's no king like our king, and his kingdom is eternal, and it will fill the whole earth, and it's here now. Out there, everyone is living in rebellion. We're living life with God under the rule of God. They can't harm our kingdom. They can't shake our kingdom. They can't conquer our God. Their power is fake and phony. The dark and evil forces behind them cannot stand against the weapons he's given us. So that's my encouragement to you this morning. This morning, and I'm going to ask the ushers to come and start preparing for communion because it leads in perfectly. Each week, we take communion. We take the body and the blood of Christ, and we remind ourselves there's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. His kingdom is not like these other kingdoms. His kingdom won't fall. His kingdom's not built on the brutality and the oppression that all the other human kingdoms are built on. Yeah, there was a death that created his kingdom, his own. He gave his own life to be the foundation for this kingdom that we live in. And it's his body and it's his blood that we celebrate. And as we do, we declare, we remind ourselves and we remind each other, I'm not going to bend the knee. I'm not going to be afraid of them. I'm not going to be scared at the power they wield over me. I'm going to remind myself and my brothers and sisters, there's no God like my God. There's no king like my king. These are, these are dark times, right? Like, I'm not trying to come up here and be like, woo! Yay, Jesus! That, that doesn't even make sense. These are dark and hard times. And there are dark and hard and horrible things happening. And the solution to those is to realize that God is in control, that he is guiding them, and that we are not going to bend our knee in fear. We're not going to fight people who aren't really our enemy. We're going to recognize that even dictators and evil men have their hearts in God's hands. And it's up to him to decide what to do with them. So as we take communion, go ahead and pass those out to everybody. I'll pray for us, and we'll take the body and the blood. And we'll remember. And as we do it, think to yourself, there's no God like our God. There's no king like our king. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, you've pulled us from the fire. Lord, you've pulled us from the fires that we lit for ourselves. You've walked with us. 
and you endured the cross, scorning its shame to announce that you are the true king. And this morning, we remember your body and we remember your blood. And we thank you. And we bow before you and you only. And we celebrate you and you only. We love you, Jesus. Amen. The body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.